0: Welcome to the Illuminated Word podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word podcast. The reading today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. We're starting a new sermon series coming up next Sunday, and we are looking at discipleship. Last Sunday we discussed that the church should be a school of discipleship, In these coming sermons, we're going to look specifically, what does a follower of Jesus look like? So our readings are going to center around that for the next few weeks. We're going to talk a lot about discipleship. We're going to look at markers of discipleship or signs of maturity in Christ. Today, we're going to look at this passage in Luke 9, and this is Luke's account of the good confession. Now, we read this in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus leads his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, way off the beaten path and there's all kinds of reasons people think that he goes to Caesarea Philippi, but it's way out of the way. Maybe it's because of the crowds. He, he wants some time alone with his disciples. This is really important as we are talking about the identity of Christ and his mission. We get a glimpse in Matthew's gospel of the mission of Christ. If you go back to Matthew 3 when Jesus is baptized, uh, there, there's a very important thing that happens in the baptism of Christ. A voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And in that voice, in that statement by God the Father, two passages from the Old Testament are being brought together. In Psalm chapter 2, there was this prophecy of of this kingly figure that would come one day, the, the Son of God who is the King of Israel. So in some ways, the Messiah would be a kingly figure. But when God the Father says, in whom I am well pleased, he is quoting from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, which was written some seven 800 years before Christ would come, talks about this suffering servant. So in the baptism of Jesus, we're getting a glimpse into the mission of Christ. He will be the king they've been waiting for, but he will be the king that suffers. And so in this passage, we're going to get a glimpse of his identity and mission also, but it's going to be a little more explicit. So let's start with verse 18. I'm going to read from the ESV this morning. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him, Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? So some some pretty tough teaching here by Christ, pretty direct things he's saying here. As we go and start to look at this passage, he asks them the question, okay, who do people say that I am? And earlier in Luke's gospel in chapter 9, in verse 7, we find there's this popular opinion out there. First of all, Herod Antipas believes that Jesus may be John the Baptist, back from the dead. So there's a little bit of paranoia among Herod himself. But also the crowds, people are, are debating, okay, who is this person? Who, who is this guy that can work these miracles, that that has these wonderful and challenging teachings? He And they're marveling at him. So maybe he's one of the prophets. And when we talk about the prophets, we're talking about guys like Elijah and Jeremiah and those types of characters, and Elisha who came back in the Old Testament. But then Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ of God. Now, so far in Luke's gospel, the angel uh, has told us back in the birth narrative that Jesus is the Christ. The demons have said that Jesus is the Christ. Luke himself, the narrator, has said that Jesus is the Christ. This is the first time one of the 12 followers of Jesus acknowledges his identity. Now, we've got to think about what Peter's saying here. You know, He's not saying that oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh. He's saying that Jesus is the anointed one of Israel. The word Christos in Greek means anointed one. Uh, More than likely, he means you are the Messiah of Israel. You're the one we've been waiting on. And so the disciples mind, there's going to be this picture of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be this kingly figure who will lead this kingdom and would fight the earthly powers, particularly probably the Roman Empire. So Jesus says, listen, you guys need to be quiet about this. Don't tell people what you've said because Jesus' hour has not come yet. His mission is completely different than what people think it's gonna be. Yes, he is the king, but he's gonna be the suffering servant. So if word gets out he is the Christ, they will force him to be this messianic king or they won't hear his message. So there's this silence they are to keep because of this. Then he says, listen, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be rejected by uh, this group of people, the elders, chief priests, and scribes. This is a unity of of people. This would be the Sanhedrin. This would be the ruling body of, of the Israelite people. And this would be a tough pill to swallow because if he is the promised Messiah of Israel, the very authorities of their religion should recognize that. But the religious authorities reject him. So he says, there's going to be rejection and I'm going to be killed and I'll be raised on the third day. So just as the crucifixion is inevitable, the resurrection is coming too. So he predicts his resurrection. But here is the application for us. Here's where we need to really pay close attention. He says, here's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship in Jesus Christ is self-denial. The Bible knows of no such thing as a selfish disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Christ is one who puts their wants and needs to the side and follows Jesus. Now, the disciples would know what it looks like for a man to carry a cross. That's a one-way journey. When you, when you take the cross of the Romans upon you, you're not coming back. So this, this vivid image to them, this is pre-crucifixion of Jesus. So they, they don't even have any context here of Jesus will be crucified. This is just they've seen people who have been crucified probably in, in their their lives at some point. Uh, the Romans crucified a lot of people. So this image of a person taking up their cross would be so extreme to them. But Jesus says specifically, listen, if you try to pursue your own wants and needs and, and pursue your happiness, how you perceive it, you will lose your identity. You will lose who you truly are. And we know deep down that is true. Think about people that you know in your life that are very selfish, you really want to be around people that are selfish, that are all about themselves. Think about people that have pursued their own happiness, wealth, and and success and, and prestige. And, and I will promise you, typically, those people are very empty. Uh, they they pretty much are crushed by their own ambition. And so to truly live the way Jesus wants us to live, is we empty ourselves. We die to self as As Paul would say in the book of Ephesians, we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer me living, but Christ living in me. So there's this radical abandonment of self if I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. As we think about discipleship as a church family, we need to consider that. If we're going to come to Jesus, we need to abandon self and let Christ take control of our lives. So much so that I'm I'm going to follow him so much that I'd be willing to give up my life To have Jesus, do we have that kind of vision of discipleship at Westgate? It's a really good question to contemplate this week. I'm going to reread the passage as we close. Once again, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must, be, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. Well, I hope this reading and this teaching has helped you in your walk today. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.